This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hello and welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Uh, we're excited to have on our show today, Honor Asbaugh. Um, that's how you say your last name, right? Ashbaugh. Ashbaugh, sorry. Okay. Um, so Honor is a doctor and a therapist in the Colorado area, or the Correct. Denver Boulder. area. Did you say Boulder? Um, I'm in Boulder, but I okay. work in Denver also, yeah. Okay. okay cool. So we, we met Honor back in October at the SASH conference, um, and she's a name that we'll see come up on our CSAT listserv and comments and always very insightful and, and professional stuff. So it was a real, it was awesome to meet her and put a name uh-huh. with a face. Um, and we, we learned a little more about the kind of work that Honor's doing with partners. Um, and so we invited her on the show today um, to talk about some aspects of helping partners to heal so she's good at so welcome on her thank you so much um so you had mentioned specifically that there are some things very early on in um in helping partners that often get missed um that are actually pretty um easy to start addressing and that's what you wanted to talk about today yeah i mean as a physician um that's you know my main specialty I'm, a, I'm an internal medicine physician, but when I was practicing, my little niche was uh, mood disorders and anxiety disorders. Mm. And so um, when I decided that I wanted to work with addiction instead, it was a, it was a good way for me to still, still be able to use those skills when treating the sex addicts and the partners. Um, and, you know, what I've, what I've noticed is that you know, partners present in a pretty predictable way, and we pretty much attribute it to trauma most of the time, where um, there are occasions where these partners have diagnosable medical conditions that could actually be helped with medication or treatment. And um, I just I just feel like sometimes those are missed. Mm-hmm. and that the partners suffer unnecessarily when there could be other other methods of help for them in addition to the therapy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um I think it's pretty common in the mental health field to um kind of lump things together like this is all trauma, but we know that trauma has physical manifestations as well and we know that um ongoing chronic trauma can manifest in some of these medical conditions and, and ongoing things. Correct. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, have just in, in the time I've been treating partners, there have been several things that have come up where I've really been able to help them to, to minimize some of their symptomatology mm-hmm. um, with, with pretty easy, pretty easy treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everybody is amenable to taking medications, but I think we as therapists should always be able to recognize when when we can offer additional help. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think sometimes it, it can be hard in the 
mental health field because I think sometimes we're guilty as practitioners of separating the two maybe more than they need to be that the mental health issues versus the physical issues and yeah. and trying to work things from a mental health perspective and maybe a cognitive behavioral perspective and it prolongs the unnecessary suffering. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that the, the two treatments together in most of these cases, if there is something that needs to be addressed medically, um, I think really work well together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there aren't a lot of studies comparing psychotherapy or behavioral therapy with medical treatments in some of these conditions. But, um, you know, I firmly believe that if somebody has to be treated with a medication, that they should also be in therapy as well. Uh -huh. I, I, I believe that very strongly. Yeah. So you had mentioned partners will present in a pretty predictable way. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you see? Like what, what are some of the common symptoms you see partners come into your practice with? So most of the partners that I see come in with a lot of hypervigilance and checking and obsessive behaviors, a lot of anxiety. Um, many of them have pretty severe insomnia mm. and, um, they almost all have some sort of um, alterations in their mood, depressed mood. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they have depression, but some of them do have mm -hmm. clinical depressions. And, and so I typically see them in the agitated state where um, they just can't sit still. They're so anxious and they have trouble going into um, crowded places or places where there's a lot of noise and stimulus. And, um, and so a lot of those symptoms are trauma reactions. But at some point, you know, a trauma reaction in the DSM-5, you know, really is um, something that lasts less than four weeks. Mm -hmm. mm. And so if they have those conditions for longer than four weeks, then, you know, you have to start considering PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, which is controversial in, right. in part. But the, it's, it's confusing because the trauma symptoms um, look like symptoms of other, of other uh, medical conditions. And so teasing them out and knowing when they've crossed the line into something that can be treated is really important. Mm -hmm. So what would you say you know, it, whether we have therapists listening to this podcast or partners, um, what are some maybe good guidelines that you could give about when it's crossed over and when we need to see that maybe this is becoming something bigger than the trauma response? Well, so the guidelines I use really are, first of all, it's duration of time that I look at for the symptoms, but also um, the severity of symptoms and how they are interfering with daily life functioning and relationships, work, social things. Because a lot of partners you know, have these um, hypervigilant, just sympathetic hyperactivity, mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't interfere with things that they're doing, um, but some of them can't even get a load of laundry done because their brain won't shut off and they're so agitated. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I really look at duration of time and I certainly don't prescribe medications right off the bat. Um, I had one partner that I did because she was so severely depressed that um, I couldn't do any work with her mm-hmm. until that was treated. So if, it, if they're having anxiety that's severe enough to interfere with their daily functioning or mood, dis- mood changes, you know, sadness, mm-hmm. um, feelings of guilt, feelings of worthlessness, crying all the time, not enjoying things that they used to do, um, those depressive symptoms, if those are interfering with their daily life and they've been present for more than two weeks, then, you know, that's a major depressive disorder. And that's the things that, you know, predispose us to trauma also predispose us to those other conditions. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to tease out what came first, you know, the chicken or the egg. Mm-hmm. But I guess my philosophy is that I'm not one for suffering, and I see a lot of partners suffer. Mm-hmm. For example, they can't sleep because they're having, you know, intrusive dreams. Um, you know, I had one partner who was so freaked out that she sat at the top of her stairs with a knife, mm-hmm. um, just scared that somebody was going to come into her house. Mm-hmm. And you know, this these alterations in sleep. Um, can be really disruptive to daily life, especially if um, the partners have children that they're taking care of. So something like insomnia is very easily treated and can make huge differences in the day-to-day functioning of the partners. Mm -hmm. I mean, lack of sleep is used as a form of torture, right? Right. (laughs) You can't sleep, um, it's gonna make everything worse. Yeah. so those are the things that that I look at in terms. Yeah. I hope I don't know if that answered your question in terms yeah. of time and symptoms. And I I really appreciate um, almost that simplifying of things to look for because uh, I'm I'm thinking through people that I've worked with and even in my own life. Just as you're talking about length of time, um, I think there's many issues that we just get into dealing with and it becomes part of our everyday life that it really shocks us when we look back and we say, this has been going on for how long? Um, and when we're in that survival mode, uh, maybe because you know we just found out that our, our partner has been keeping sexual secrets um, or the family's falling apart, like it's really easy to lose track of time. And I love that. I love that thought. I'm not one for suffering um, because in survival mode, I think alleviating suffering is one of the last things on our list. We're just, we're just trying to survive. We're trying to make it another day. Right. And it, and I think that's such a good point that time gets away from us uh-huh. and you know, t- two weeks isn't very long. Right. Right. People with depressive disorders. Um, and so, you know, of course they have to meet all the DSM five criteria and that's something that I, don't, I think is beyond our scope of topic today, mm-hmm. but right. um, it's really important I think for therapists to have a copy of that and to do screenings for the simple things like Mm -hmm. depression and generalized anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, there's controversy over whether partners meet the criteria for that. So I know we all know about Barb Steffen's study that she did in 2006. And what she found is that 70% of the partners that she studied 
actually met all the symptomatic criteria for PTSD. So that doesn't mean that 70% had it, but they met mm-hmm. the symptomatic criteria. Right. And, um, and so what's really important about that is, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know that I've had, I've had partners that have met all the conditions for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the treatments for PTSD is, is medical treatment with mm-hmm. um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. In fact, there hasn't been um, a study shown that, um, well, studies show if if people just take medication like an SSRI, um, that's like Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Lexapro. Now that's first line treatment for PTSD Mm -hmm. in people who meet the diagnostic criteria for that. And, you know, studies have shown that that people that take those medications actually respond and it helps. Mm. Um, I, and I, and I think that that's also sometimes, you know, hard to um, figure out what you're treating, right? Are you treating Mm -hmm. PTSD? Are you treating depression? Um, Are you treating generalized anxiety disorder? But the good thing is that the treatments for those three things are the same medication. Yeah. 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 And I would say here too, to our, our listeners, I have a lot of clients who, um, you know, they'll come in, they'll say, I found this diagnostic criteria for this and for that. And they'll spend a lot of their time, you know, trying to figure out, which I, I love having informed clients. Like I love that. Let's learn. Um, but I, I would also put a word out to our clients. Like if there's anything that's going on uh, or our listeners, if there's anything that's going on in your life that you're unsure about, talk with your therapist or your doctor, or your support person mm-hmm. about that. You don't have to figure it out all by yourself. Um, that is so true, Jonathan. I mean, I, I tell people not to go Google their symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that can open a whole can of worms that may not even be accurate. Yeah. yeah. And it just gets them, it can be one of the hyper vigilant mm-hmm. activities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk though. Cause I think <clears throat> I've had this experience with physicians before where I think it can be intimidating to go in and talk to your doctor about what's going on with you. And particularly for partners where this bomb has kind of landed in their life and exploded. How do they approach their physician? How, like what, what's maybe some language that they can use or what's, what does the doctor need to know? What does the doctor not need to know? Well, I think that I'm hopefully, um, and and you're right about that's a really sensitive topic, right? Because that Mm -hmm. just adds to the shame of the partners when they have to go in and, and get help for that. But um, I think that in most cases, hopefully the therapist is the one that's referred the partner. Uh-huh. And, you know, as a therapist, if, you know, I would be a proponent for the therapist talking to the physician beforehand, if there's a mm-hmm. release saying, Hey, this is what I see. This is what I'm worried about. Okay. And that would kind of help, you know, take some of the pressure off the partner. But I think just being open about, the symptoms that they're having, how they're interfering with their life, and just being able to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And being and just being able to be honest and open. And you know, some people don't have primary care doctors, so that's hard. Mm-hmm. And I want to 
I want to push the fact that, you know, these, these uh, clients don't have to see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. They yeah. may at some point need to, but they don't have to see a psychiatrist right off the, right off the, the start. Right. Um, you know, primary care physicians treat almost, I mean, gosh, 40% of our practice is, is mental health issues. Mm -hmm. mm. And so your family doctor can be a big help. Yes. Um, and if they don't have a family doctor and don't know where to go, then, you know, I usually recommend that they talk to their friends and find, find a, a person that one of their friends likes, um, or maybe even the therapist has suggestions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to go back to something that you said, um, just as you're talking about talking to the doctor and talking about friends, getting suggestions. Um, so I'll, I'll have uh, people sitting in my office and when we broach the topic of this might be something to talk to your doctor about, a concern I'll get a lot is, well, I don't just want a pill um, or I don't just want to go on medication. And, and um, you, you've kind of alluded to uh, like many ways of alleviating these symptoms. So if you could talk about maybe the depressive or anxiety stuff, um, what can people expect from their doctor and, and what are some of the other legs of the stool, so to speak, in, in addressing some of those symptoms and, and alleviating? Yeah, so that's a really good point. And it brings me to something that I want to come up is that a lot of people really do not want to take medications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're very much against it. And so, Well, or I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think sometimes we hear people who, you know, have been on Prozac for 10 years, right? And so they, there's maybe a myth that once I start it, I'm on it forever. So, right. So this is psychoeducation, um, you know, for these, for these uh, clients. And it's not a matter of pushing medication because some people that's not the option they want and that's okay. There's, mm -hmm. there, we can talk about other ways, you know, to, to address that. But for the people that, um, may have heard, oh, that's going to numb me out and that's going to mm -hmm. make me not myself or I'm going to get addicted to it or I'm going to be on it for the rest of my life. Those are all fears that people have. And I think that the reassurance I give is that, first of all, if they meet the, if they are candidates for the medication, it can help immensely with symptoms, um, especially with anxiety and that just not being able to focus or sit still or worrying constantly. Mm -hmm. But I often, um, you know, let them know that they're not addictive. If people take um, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, for example, for depression, if you don't have a deficiency, and this is simplifying it, but if you don't have a deficiency of serotonin in your brain, that pill isn't going to do anything for you. Mm. And, and so the people that do take them, it doesn't um, change your personality. It doesn't change your cognition. It doesn't numb you out. What it does is it helps to establish a normal level of serotonin in your brain, which is um, a neurotransmitter. Um, and so just letting them know that there is the option mm -hmm. and that this is something that might help you. I, I don't know, but you may want to, you know, see your doctor about it. Um, 
And well, I don't want to take a pill for the rest of my life. And I think we can reassure them that you probably won't have to. Mm-hmm. And some people who um, have had, like, let's say someone's had repeated episodes of depression. I mean, they're going to have a higher risk of, of needing to be on something for a long-term basis. Mm-hmm. But if it's, you know, an initial event or it's to help them get through PTSD symptoms, then we typically would just treat for six months to a year um, and then taper off. Mm-hmm. Or like you mentioned at the top of the show, if people are looking for medication but then don't get into any type of therapy, um, and so they're not may- maybe learning the skills or reframing thoughts and different things like that, <clears throat> then they may be on medication for longer periods of time because they're not learning how to function in addition with the medication. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, you know, there's, there isn't a lot of, um, in the medical literature, there's not a lot of studies that compare the two. If you add mm-hmm. one, it helps. But I don't really care about that because I know it all. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I agree with you. And, and the, what I tell people is, you know, there's all different pieces to the puzzle. And as a doctor, if I'm prescribing an antidepressant, um, you know, why, well, first of all, I, I give them an analogy of diabetes, for example. And if your pancreas isn't making insulin, um, are you just going to not take medication um, because you don't want to take medication? Or are you just going to, um, you know, try to manage it yourself? Mm-hmm. Say prayers, do 12-step mm-hmm. meetings, um, whatever. And most people are going to say, no, I would take insulin or I would take the medicine that I need. And so you know, mental health disorders are the same. They're, they're medical illnesses. They're mm-hmm. not character defects. Mm-hmm. But it's only if somebody did need to take medication for a brief period of time, it's only part of the puzzle. So if I treat somebody with cardiac disease, I don't just say, here, take this pill to lower your cholesterol. Mm-hmm. I say, take this pill to lower your cholesterol because it's going to be, it's going to help a lot. I say, you need to eat right and you need to have you know a, a good diet and they get directions you need to exercise you need to watch your stress and so there's all these different pieces to the puzzle and with mental health illnesses i i think therapy is a huge huge piece of that puzzle mm-hmm. yeah so as a physician i would never put somebody on a medication and not recommend that they see a therapist yeah and and this is reminding me of um kind of a paradigm shift i had a few years ago i used to firmly be in the camp of like why treat symptoms when we can find the source um and i think it was mostly through the trauma training that i've received in in emdr and the work that we do with neurofeedback here that i realized that symptom reduction is huge for people's day-to-day lives and often it's hard to get at the source because we have this cloud of symptoms that we're trying to manage. Exactly. Um, And like, even when it comes to things like sleep, I'll have some clients who will say, well, uh, I'm not going to focus on sleep right now because night is when I, what I see is night is when I do my most effective worrying. 
um, and they think that's getting yeah yeah and they, they think that's getting something done and and again being able to pull back and say well if there's if there's a symptom that we can treat here that alleviates some suffering imagine if if you're effective if you're that effective going um, you know most of the night without sleep imagine how effective you can be thinking through these problems when your brain is rested and yeah. and your body has energy um, and so I, I think that's a really important piece of, of healing for partners is um, there are so many angles and so many pieces of this puzzle. Starting work anywhere is good work to be done. There's, there's not a best place to start. I love that. And I think you're exactly right. When someone's symptoms are, when they're so dysregulated um, that, you know, they're having anxiety all day, they're having panic attacks, they can't sleep, or they're very depressed. It's really hard to do any good work with these people because mm -hmm. you end up doing just supportive care. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't treat the root cause. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it can be really helpful on a short-term basis. Yeah. And some of these women are gonna be like, some of these women are going to feel so good and they're gonna get so, they're going to feel so much better because they really did have something going on and they've realized that they've been depressed for a very long time. And some of them are never going to want to come off of the medications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you, and you, there's no contraindication to taking these medications for a long period of time. Um, if you need it, mm -hmm. um, people will ask, well, what happens if I come off the medication and I get depressed again, for example, and well, you know, we can put you back on it. And, um, and so people tend to feel differently about that idea of treating those things when they feel how much relief they can get. Mm -hmm. You know, also, one of the things that I've noticed too is, you know, partners become very ambivalent, right? When they discover their, the acting out behaviors of their husband or spouse. And, um, some of, and, and if somebody has a major depression, it's going to be very hard for them to make any um, well-informed decisions mm -hmm. in that state. Um, but I, I do, I just want to emphasize that not all partners need to be on medication. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I'm, I'm just really referring to people who may get benefit from them because they meet the criteria mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a particular illness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if people do not want to, if they refuse to take medication, there's really no reason to send them to a physician. Yeah. Um, and there, and then we work with other, um, we work with other modalities. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they, they would see a naturopath or a holistic practitioner, mm -hmm. um, or we just tell them, you know, the things that we know, for example, exercise tends to be um, as good of a treatment for depression as medication in some studies, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty astounding. But, right. but regular exercise itself by alone, yeah. um, if well, they're not so depressed that they can't exercise. Right. right, right, that they can't get out and get going. Right. Well, and the benefits I think we're seeing in the research of meditation um, for oh, yeah. anxiety and different symptoms that partners may be mm -hmm. experiencing. Mm -hmm. Right, As, and that's a great tool. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I look at what's accomplished with these kind of conversations or, or bringing these kind of concerns to your therapist um, or your doctor, this is a level of caring for yourself that you probably haven't done for a while. Um, especially if you've been keeping all the balls in the air with your spouse's or your partner's addiction, um, which again, like, why, why wouldn't you do that? This, this primary attachment, this maybe most important person in the world for you, they're falling apart. And of course you're going to put a lot of time and energy into that. Um, and we know that time and energy are finite. And so like, that's going to be taking a lot away from you. And so even just having these conversations, I think starts to, move some of the momentum back in the direction of I have needs and there's things going on with me and I need to care for that in the best way that's available to me. Um, and so whether that's looking at sleep patterns or exercise, or is there a need for medication or diet or all of that, like that's a, that's a big experience in learning how to take care of ourselves in really specific ways. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, Self-care is, um, is something that a lot of the clients that we work with don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't often know what they need. Mm-hmm. If you ask them what they need, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, this is part of self-care. Yeah. And, um, and, it, and it takes initiate the initiative of the client mm-hmm. to, you know, come to the conclusion that they're worth it and that they yeah. deserve to you know, it's not going to be a magic pill and make everything go away. It doesn't do that. Right. But it can help in the short term. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I think, one of those, as you were saying, they have to come to that conclusion that they're worth it. So often partners find themselves um, in this place of they've been trying to take care of the family. They've been trying to take care of the marriage for so long um, that this idea of focusing on themselves feels so foreign to them, Um, you know, because, or there's that thinking that if the marriage is okay, or if my husband gets or, or wife gets healthy in their addiction, then I will be okay. Right. So, so often they are used to seeing themselves as the secondary piece to the puzzle and to switch that and to start to put themselves first and to invest in themselves and do their own self-care is so important, but often foreign for partners. Yeah, that is, that is so true, Jackie. Um, I, I, and it kind of makes me, if it's okay, I want to segue to a little something different. Sure. sure. Okay. So partners, they do put everyone else first, right? So your, let's say your husband um, goes to treatment and he's there for 90 days. And you're there to pick up the pieces mm-hmm. and to figure out what to tell everybody, where he is, what to tell the kids. You're, you have everything. You're doing all the jobs yourself. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so partners often take a back seat. So I just wanted to let you guys know something new that I'm doing that I'm really excited about is I'm partnering up with um, another CSAT in Denver and we are starting a partner retreat, a six-day partner mm-hmm. retreat for um, partners to begin healing from their uh, trauma. Oh. And so um, it's something that I think is missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and, they, and, and it's also something that, that partners deserve because they're, 
their recovery gets overlooked and takes a back seat to that mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. addict mm-hmm. in many cases. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. So tell us a little bit more about what, just give us a feel for what or you will be focusing on in this retreat for partners. So the retreat would be um, in a private home and we're still working on the location of that, but I think it will probably be up in the mountains, mm. which would be beautiful and tranquil. And um, it's for women only partners of sex addicts, pornography addicts, or infidelity. Mm. And so these women come together and they get to stay um, in this retreat for six days and six nights. They do therapy. They get psychoeducation. They um, do wilderness uh, therapy and hikes, all sorts of experientials. Um, bonding. We're bringing in um, POSA meetings, which is uh, a 12-step group for partners of sex addicts that actually um, focuses on the betrayal model. Mm. I'm not familiar with that. Maybe you can talk a little bit more, but keep going. Um, And then, you know, they'll, they'll have assignments and self-searching and, um, and um, all their meals they, they, they're going to bond with people and have relationships that are going to last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we feel like they deserve, they deserve that. Mm-hmm. And well, not only do they deserve it, but let's be honest, it's necessary, it's right? Necessary. This is not a luxury for partners. Like this is so critical for the, the situation that they've been living in, the stress that has been placed upon them. This is a necessary part of their process. I agree. I agree. I'm really, I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, um, it's Michael Deneen is the CSAT that I will be working with. And, and so um, we will be educating them about sex addiction and what it is so that they understand it. Um, you know, as a physician, I feel it's really important for partners to understand what's going on in their brain with trauma, mm-hmm. with triggers and, um, and all of the things that have occurred. And, um, you know, they'll be in group. I mean, it's basically, uh, it's, it's basically a, a very intensive program focused on them getting the chance to heal and really jumpstart their recovery. And, and so um, I'm super excited about it. That sounds fantastic. Is there a place where our listeners can find out more or can get on a mailing list or something like that to stay posted? Yeah, so the, where they would go is to um, uh, www.restorationstherapycenter.com. And that is, um, that's Michael Deneen's, um therapy center in Denver. Mm. And so that that company will be promoting it and they can click under they can click on services and then there will be in the drop down there will be a um a place for partner intensive retreat okay yeah and we can put that link in our yep. show notes yep. yeah that would be great and yeah. the first program is february 4th through 10th and we are um we're, we're giving special rates for that since it's our first program so mm-hmm. it would be a really good new year's um, gift solution yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's awesome great. i'm glad you brought that up 
Um, I, let me see where we're at on time. Um, tell just kind of briefly, like I said, I wasn't, I know there's so many great 12 step fellowships out there, but you mentioned the POSA one. So partners of sex addicts, that's really kind of focused on that betrayal model. Speak a little bit more to that. Right. So this is pretty new. Um, if you go to, uh, posa.com there, there is, um, a, I can't remember how to exactly get there, but there is a place on their website for POSA meetings. Okay. And what, what these are, and I, and I don't know a lot about them either because they're very new uh -huh. and um, their people are starting their own meetings throughout the U S and the cities where they have those meetings are posted on the website. Okay. But this was a response to, um, the COSA, uh -huh. which is co-addicts of sex addicts. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, you know, I don't believe in that co-addiction model. And sometimes those meetings can be, so sometimes they're really helpful. And if they are for you, that's great. But some people um, really have a hard time with feeling like their dysfunction has been part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And especially in the beginning, I think that the betrayal support is really important. Yeah. yeah. So you can find the meetings on that website and um, there's actually a packet that they can download if they want to start a meeting in their area. Okay. Which is really, really needed uh -huh. um, because there's limited cities where this is. And so, so yeah, it's pretty new and, um, and I think it's a great resource. Yeah. And that's so great. Doing those meetings every day at the retreat. Mm. Great. Yeah. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. That's a, okay. that's a great resource for our listeners to check yeah. out. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Well, we wanted to thank you for your time honor um, and being willing to come on the show. I think this is a very, very helpful topic. Um, yeah. And, and certainly one that I don't think our standard guest is equipped to talk about. Thank right. you for using your expertise and your, your knowledge and your training to help make life better. Well, I thank you guys for, um, being open to letting me share about this topic uh, because I think that um, I think that it's very important mm -hmm. and can be, you know, life-saving for many partners. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Remember at the end of this episode, your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.